the most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. Member FDIC. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Pushkin. This is Talk Easy. I'm Sam Fragoso. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm joined by comedian Megan Stalter. Megan came to prominence in the middle of 2020 as the pandemic took hold. Even now, I remember sitting at home on the couch, doom scrolling through the days, looking for anything or anyone to offer a bit of joy. And it was during one of those unending scrolls that I stumbled upon the work of Megan Stalter. While most of us didn't quite know what to do with ourselves in that time, Megan got to work performing comedy sets on Instagram Live. Shot entirely on her iPhone, she created these pieces using whatever props and costumes she could find around her family home in Ohio, taking us to places we couldn't go, creating people we couldn't be around. If you haven't seen one of her videos, her characters are delusional, socially awkward, yet wildly confident. And by the end of 2021, she was labeled the queen of quarantine. But her gifts didn't remain on the internet. You can find her reprising the role of Kayla, the assistant, in the new season of Hacks. Here's a clip from the trailer. I'm not so sure this tour is a good idea. I thought you don't read reviews because you don't care. I don't read reviews because I do care. I can't turn it off either. And nothing matters more, even if it should. 
Hi, Deborah Vance. Hey, Jimmy. Good God, you look amazing. What moisturizer do you use? I use Vaseline. Jimmy. I could surrender, but I just be... Honestly, I should have retired and gone out on top. Back in Vegas, you were on top, but I think that was just a hill. Now you're climbing a mountain. Oh, no. She's doing Ellen. That was from Hacks, now available to stream on HBO Max. We wanted to air our talk with Megan this week as the show reaches the end of its second season. But to be honest, we also felt like after the last month, we needed some levity and laughter. And so this talk covers her conservative Christian upbringing, her bisexuality, her early performances in Chicago, the challenges of being a woman in comedy, but It's also a profoundly silly and lighthearted conversation. It's one I definitely needed to have, and I hope one that you enjoy hearing in the middle of your week. We'll be back on Sunday with another new episode, but until then, here is Megan Stalter. Megan Stalter. Yes. How are you doing? I'm doing good. What's up? <laughs> Why did you just get so nervous? I know. I'm so, I'm always confident and nervous at the same time. This is like kind of what you bring to all your characters. Do you think? <laughs> is it coming across? <laughs> yeah. Confidence, nervousness. Yeah. You're at the intersection of, of both of them. I could truly be on stage for three hours and not a nerve in sight. And then if I order coffee at Starbucks, I stutter. This confidence (laughs) and nervousness Mm -hmm. that you exhibit in all your characters, you definitely bring that to Kayla. Who's Kayla? (laughs) Imagine if I didn't remember the name of the character. um, It's it's this show. Okay. It's on um, Pluto TV. Oh my God, I love, I'm such a big fan. I love to collaborate with Pluto. You said once about playing the character of Kayla. Mm-hmm. Extreme confidence is my favorite thing to play. That's how I often feel. <laughs> I love myself so much, then I get shy and stutter. It's all very Kayla. In this new season... There's something funny about saying I get shy. You said it, not me. <laughs> I know. But I'm, to hear it back to myself is like... How does it feel? How, it feels like I must have been being flirty. Oh, I get shy. Doesn't it sound... Sounds a little flirtatious. Flirtatious. Okay. (laughs) In this new season, I think there's a little more humanity Mm -hmm. to Kayla. You see more of her as a human being (laughs) in a way that you didn't in season one. Do you think you were able to bring more of yourself to her in this season? Yes, definitely. And I think like there's so many sweet moments with Jimmy and Kayla where it's like even more sentimental because they've been so silly and chaotic. When you see them really be sweet and kind to each other, it's like, oh, my God, because she really does love Jimmy. I don't think she's like sees him as just a sexy piece of meat. Not just that. (laughs) Not just that. I think like she'd totally be down to hook up a few if you wanted. But I think it's her love for him is really innocent. Like, she's like, that's my best friend. Hey, handsome. Of course, like, she would make out with him, but it's because she doesn't really think of the consequences. Like, she kind of would hook up with a lot of different people in the office, I'm sure. (laughs) 
if the time is right. She's she's, she's indiscriminate. <laughs> yeah. But she has these sweet moments of being like, I don't want to feel like I'm just a joke. Like, you know, in the end, like, don't we all kind of want to feel like we f- fit in with our people, at least, even if we're different, which is what I really like to play is people that are different, but really in love with themselves. I always knew Kayla had a great heart. She has a big heart. She just wants to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> and she also, like, doesn't really see negative things about herself. Like, she's kind of in her own world. So to see her have a moment with Jimmy where she's like, ugh, everyone just thinks of me as a big joke. It's kind of sweet and endearing. Do you have some of that in you? No. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm perfect. <laughs> no, I'm perfect. But, um, no, I think <laughs> there is that. And there's also, like, when you are... A goofy, crazy comedian, like wacky girl. There is part of you that's like, oh, I want people to see that I can be surprising and do other things other than be a prankster. Something about the word prankster. <laughs> I know. Doesn't sit well. It with doesn't you. sit well with me. Does it sit well with you? No, not really. Yeah, and I'm not a prankster, but you know, I'm a I'm a goofy girl. <laughs> I'm a goofy girl, and I really believe in myself. It's actually all in my notes here. (laughs) Goofy Goofy prankster fashionista. uh, Yeah, not not the fashionista They didn't say the fashionista? I I did not get that in my notes. Do you think I'm a fashion girl? In what sense? That I am fashion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when I looked at the photos from the Met Gala this week, I thought, why wasn't I invited to the Met Gala? I don't know. The fashion people invite, right? Yeah. And I'm not famous, so maybe that's why, but... You're asking me like I'm on the Met Gala commission. <laughs> I know. Well, if you Is could it a commission? Sit, well, if someone listens to this, I would like to go next year. <laughs> there are people who listen to this. But there's fashion yeah. people for sure that listen to this too. And yes. I think like I would be up to do a big prank. <laughs> <laughs> um, that thing you're talking about, mm-hmm. that thing of being known as silly crazy, goofy, kind of larger-than-life funny person online. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) To also want to show people I'm not just that. Mm. I think to do that, we have to understand a little bit of how you got here. And to do that, I want to go back. You grew up as one of four siblings in Ohio. Your mom was a nurse. Your father was a tattoo artist. As kids, you and your siblings would create these fake talk shows and, and play around with each other and, and have fun. When you go to Wayne High School. Yeah. Wow, you have a lot. <laughs> you seem to have these split personalities. Yeah. Between the person in class and the kid going to drama club. What were those two people like? I felt so confident when I was in drama club and like I was so funny in myself and like I was the life of the party. But I was so nervous in class, like around my own class of students, like my own grade. I was so nervous and shy. Classmates. Classmates. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, my students? That's not quite right. My fans? Your pupils? My pupils, my peers, my classmates made me so nervous. I had such a bad time in middle school. I was like a cheerleader, but I was like the one that they were mean to. What would they do? They, <laughs> this is too real, but I, they would like, basically there was this guy who wanted to ask me to the dance and they were like jealous. So they were mean to me and like, they were like, don't ask her. And they would send little mean notes around choir and they spread this big rumor that I hadn't gotten my period yet, which is very carry. It's very like, why is that even something to make fun of? But I also had gotten it, so I don't know where <laughs> why that even was a thing. Um, so did you go about trying to prove that you had? <laughs> no, 
like, I I pretty much kept quiet about it. Let the rumors, you know, no bad press is, bad press is good press. Good, good press, bad press is, is all good, good press. Is all good press. <laughs> all bad press is good. And all, all press is press. Yes, all press is press. So let them talk and um, <laughs> let them let them talk, spread the rumors. She hadn't gotten her period yet, which, again, like, it's not a bad thing to get. It's not a bad thing not to get. But these rumors did hurt you. <laughs> I mean, it hurts when someone's sending a note that's not nice. <laughs> when, when they mean, if they meant it in a nice way, oh, how cool. She hasn't gotten it yet. But you could tell they meant it mean. Yeah. And even one of my best friends turned on me, which was horrible. And I'll tell you, God is real because every night I prayed she'd leave me alone and she got suspended out of nowhere. I'm not kidding. God suspended her. Like, she fully got taken out of my life. The rumor was that she stole a CD player. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. sounds just like her. But it's, it's so like her. But I'm like, but God did that. Because, like, who gets God made fully her steal? suspended? God had made, the Holy Spirit made her steal. But fully, I feel protected. I'm like, not kidding, one of God's favorite children. <laughs> Because I was protected. I was like, I was fully crying every night. No one knew. And I prayed every night that somehow we wouldn't have to go to school together. And then she was fully taken out of school. I mean, you steal a CD player, you don't always get fully suspended. (laughs) Sometimes you just get, hey, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) On the heels of that, you are this kid that's funny and goofy, but you also were coming from a place of hating middle school. What were these two selves when you're in high school? You're 15, 16, 17. I think I was someone who was like trying to keep quiet, was never good in class, and lived for, just lived for after school. I had a gay boyfriend. We were the power couple. (laughs) We never got the parts we wanted. And my drama teacher hated us. I think it was like, she was like jealous that we were having so much fun and like probably saw a part of herself in us and didn't like it or something. You know, like I think she probably remembered what it was like to feel that much joy or something while doing the play. But then a part of her was like, take it seriously. But we were. Like, all we wanted was the main part, and we just never got even speaking roles. So, of course, we're going to be goofing off in the back. You wouldn't get speaking roles. I think once in a while I would get a line, but I was very much like nun number four, scrag number five. (laughs) You once got the part of an understudy. Okay, so one time I was an understudy for the lead and the lead dropped out and then they gave someone else the lead part and gave me a little part. (laughs) And it was horrifying. It was like so sad. And then another time I was an understudy for Helen Keller's mother in The Miracle Worker and I did get that part and fell in love with my gay boyfriend who plays my son. But you were finding joy performing at that age. I mean, I've always loved performing. Like when I was little, I wanted to be on stage always. Even though, as you've admitted, you had a lot of belief in yourself, even when you weren't particularly good. Yes. I always thought I was really special. Even when I started stand up as an adult, I was like, I'm really good. And I was really bad. Well, so that happens. You leave high school, you go to two different colleges, you consider nursing, you consider teaching. You even consider being a missionary and doing Bible school in Peru. I did that, yes. You did do that? I did. I I went to like um, a six-month like Bible school missions trip, and I was really sick on the trip. <laughs> I was like staph infection all over my body, and I didn't tell my mom. So was God with you then? He was. He, I think he was, <laughs> he was saying, you're going to be okay. And I think it was like a life-changing trip. I think it made me think like, okay, what— is it that I'm really supposed to do? And in the end, I'm like, oh, like, 
God in the universe really wants you to do what you really want to do if it's good, not if it's like rob a bank. The universe really wants you to be yourself and like follow your dreams. By that, you help others, I think, in a different way. So you do follow your dreams. You're performing around Dayton, Ohio in your early 20s. What was your material like at that age? I think I just, I always knew I wanted to do characters, but I didn't really know how I mean, now what I do, my shows are like, okay, I'm doing a character, but the whole thing is this. It's like a persona. Mm -hmm. Whereas before it would be like, I didn't know how to structure it. So I'd be like, "Ah, wouldn't it be so crazy if a mom was drunk at Chuck E. Cheese? And it'd be like, oh, God, get off the water slide. This is Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) Have you been to Chuck E. Cheese? (laughs) They don't have water slides. They don't have water slides. They just have plain dry slides. You outed yourself quick. I, know. I thought you're from the Midwest. <laughs> I have been to Chuck E. Cheese, but water came out when I said slide. Because I'm <laughs> constantly thinking of water slides. Maybe you were sliding around in water. It was like just me trying to like, can I set this up where I can do a funny voice? Mm-hmm. And I don't do funny voices. I'm not good at voices. That's really not what my character strength is. What are your character strengths? I think what's really funny in a character is when they sound real, but they're still being bizarre. I think there's nothing funnier than, like, a couple fighting, but, like, trying to act like they're not. Um, Like, in The Office, the dinner party uh, episode is, like, one of the funniest episodes of TV of all time, where Jan and Michael are trying to pretend like they're not, like, on the verge of a breakdown, and they have everyone over for dinner, and it's so awkward. Those are the kinds of characters that I think are so funny. Ones that are, like, losing their mind, but trying to act like they're not. That sounds like everyone in the pandemic. There's a quote here I like. I think... Vanity Fair wrote, Megan holds a mirror up to us, forcing us to think about the chasm between how we see ourselves and how others do as we stare at her through our phone screens. I love that. I think the reason why people like the characters is because it's like, oh my God, I know that person and they're absolutely out of their mind or like, but they somehow make sense because like we all know them. And you're nailing the details. That's what I'm going for. I think that's what I think is funny. And that's why I like love Kate Berlant and John Early. Like it's always the details in their characters that are like, oh my God, that's so funny. I would never think of that. And yet I know that person. But when you're starting out in Dayton, Ohio, you didn't quite have that yet. You, <laughs> no. you, you didn't know how to nail the idiosyncrasies of someone, the, the small details that make them human. When you do go to Chicago, your mom suggest that you should leave. You take her advice. You go. You said, from the moment I arrived, the world opened up to me. How did it do that? I think like I was um, really sheltering myself, like living in Ohio, really involved in church, which was great for me, truly. But I was like getting a pretty narrow way of life and thinking. And then in Chicago, What do you mean by that? Well, I feel like everyone is surrounded by people that believe the same thing they do, and they're all pretty similar beliefs. And I think in Chicago, I got to have space and think of what do I really believe? You know, I was like fully in Bible school. So like moving to Chicago and getting to meet a bunch of different kinds of people and falling in love with them. And also like realizing, oh, I'm bisexual and like I want to do this for the rest of my life not just kiss girls but like (laughs) comedy and I want to be around like all these different kinds of people and like I feel like more spiritually connected in myself now than when I felt sheltered which I was kind of the one sheltering myself and then I um now date a bunch of (laughs) different people (laughs) 
<laughs> but I realized because I was like, this makes total sense. All like I've had so many celebrity crushes on women and I just didn't realize it. So you end up figuring out that part of your life mm-hmm. that you're interested in, in all kinds of people. Creatively, when you're working out material at the hideout in Chicago, do you remember when things started to click for you? <laughs> so I um, was an intern on a all women's comedy show called Hoo-Ha Comedy. And I met some of my best friends through that show. But an intern is like, we literally sold tickets and we barely ever got to perform. But there was one night they did let us perform. And I did this big PowerPoint. And it was the first time that I did something on stage that I thought was really funny and it was different and weird. I think it was the first set where I was like, oh my God, like there's no rules. We can do whatever we want. I definitely started doing more weird things after that show and then found the hideout and just felt like I could do whatever I wanted. And then I realized, oh, there's no rules. And then I started going really strange and doing whatever I wanted. And it was like this evolution for me of like, oh, my God, we can do whatever we want. We can do characters and not even explain we're doing a character or like we could strip down to like a weird song or like do a PowerPoint that was how I found my voice. You were experimenting. Yeah, I was experimenting and nobody was like, there was no industry watching or like, the only thing I was trying to do was like, get better and have fun. But there's another element to this for you, which is, you know, a lot of people in their early 20s take a stab at these creative endeavors. They perform, they sing, they start a band, they write some screenplays. The thing that you did that I want to sit with, you had this ability to kind of tirelessly promote yourself to the point where by 2018, you have a Twitter account. And I just want you to read this tweet you sent out. In June of 2018, you tweeted this. I'm just going to hand it to you. Oh, my God. If I get to 400 followers by 9 p.m., I'll shove my face in dog food while wearing a slutty outfit. This is who I am now. I'm not going to apologize. And there's... There's more where that came from. And there's only three likes. (laughs) Oh, my God. I think this is when I started, like, kind of making fun of social media while falling in love with, like, having fun with it. Mm -hmm. I fully remember when I got the Twitter and my friend was trying to explain to me, like, what Twitter was. And I was like, I don't quite get it. And then I finally was like, I'm going to really try to get it. And I would um, tag people and be like, it's your turn to to retweet me. Congratulations. And it'd be like my most famous friend or something. And I guess I was like making fun of it while also wanting to like blow up. <laughs> like I wanted to make fun of it, but also for it to be seen, I guess. You were making fun of fame while also trying to walk towards it. Yeah. You had a kind of shamelessness about putting your work out there in a way that if you don't come from money, mm-hmm. if... You don't have connections to the industry. Yeah. You kind of have to do that. Yeah. I wondered, at any point in Chicago, did you ever have a day where you felt like, I don't know, I'm going to go back home to Ohio. Like, I can't do this. No, I've had, um, like, I wish they lived by me, like, because I'm so close to my family. They're my best friends. I've always had the dream of, like, I wish they lived here with me. But I've always wanted to do this. Like, I've loved the process. Like, I think people get really frustrated because they want to be at a certain place or, like, is ever going to happen? And I always thought, (laughs) because I think I have the right amount of delusion where I've always been, like, this is going to happen for me. Like, I'm going to be able to act and it's going to happen. It's depending on when. But not in a cocky, like, crazy way. In a just, like, 
oh, I really love this. And I think if you keep going and if you really love it and you're your biggest fan, that it will happen. And I think like if I didn't have so much fun promoting and like making fun of like influencers, but then kind of like doing the ads and stuff, if I didn't have fun, then I wouldn't do it anymore because I think life is too short. Where does that delusion come from? I think the delusion comes from something deep in me that I'm like, I really love myself and I love God and I think God loves me. And like, I just have Why this, are you laughing at that? I just think it sounds so, um, it sounds very like God girl, but I, I am. <laughs> and I, I just think there's something deep in me that's like, oh, I'm, I really believe in myself. If you're delusional and you're not grounded in the people around you and know that the only thing in life that is worth anything is the people we have, then it's like harmful to be delusional. But a little delusion, I think if you don't come from money or have connections, you have to have that, right? right? Even moving to New York or LA, that's so beyond my wildest dreams when I was in Ohio. That delusion carried you to Chicago. It would then carry you to New York. Before you went to New York, you clearly had this vision for yourself. You saw something in yourself that maybe Others couldn't quite see yet, but you saw it. By the time you leave Chicago, by the time your friend Paula Skaggs drives you from Chicago (laughs) to Brooklyn, do you feel like your community saw what you saw in yourself? Yeah, definitely. We all were rooting for each other and we still are. They were just family and everybody was like excited for me and we had a big party and like I moved there with knowing almost no one and having a delusion and thinking I was special to falling in love with the people in Chicago and like my comedy community. And then they gave me even more delusion and feeling like I could do anything. So it feels like a little bit delusion gets you here and then you fall in love and you have all these people behind you. The falling online, the reason that is meaningful to me is now I have these people that I feel like I connected with during the pandemic that I'm like, they're all rooting for me and I'm rooting for them. And It's crazy. So this following online, it comes pretty quickly once you move to New York. You have your first viral video in August of 2019. Well, do you remember the video? Is it the blonde wig? Um, Yeah. (laughs) So this is a video where I'm like, oh, woman in the romantic comedy um, who the lead hooks up with right before he goes off to his real love. (laughs) Do do you want to watch that for a second? Oh, sure. I haven't seen it in so long. Here it is. Well, this is my dorm. So I guess I'll take my shirt off. Tim, we don't have to do this. You're a good guy. And you're in love with somebody. And it's not me. So go get her. (laughs) This dorm room goes to a college. And there are 56,000 million women that go here at the school. 56,000 million your eyes off women. Of one of them. It's not me. It's not me. As much as I wish it was. <laughs> so go get her. Go get your girl. In her back. I'll be okay. <laughs> I have blonde hair. I'm fine. Go get her. I can't believe I recorded that with three roommates. Like, there's something so embarrassing about knowing they could definitely hear me. It's not me. It's it's that, those little things in a character is what's funny to me. The little like, oh, we've seen that before. She's crying, but like chewing gum. You've seen that in the movie a thousand times. Yeah, exactly. I've seen that scene. You know they're not going to hook up. Right. (laughs) She's going to stop it. 
There's something so funny about calling it out of like, we don't ever call out that like, we've seen that so many times. And it's such a cliche in a movie. This other bit you were doing in New York before the pandemic was around your agent asking you to put yourself on tape (laughs) for an audition. Yeah. (laughs) And then you would have an audience member come on stage. Is that right? Yes. And read, like, run lines with me. Yeah. It's so funny to me to play someone on stage that's, like, still focused on getting the part, even though she's literally at a live show. And then I also think it was probably the first time I started auditioning, too. And I just think the whole process was so scary. And... um so funny too where it's like you don't really know how someone's going to do the part just from an audition people are so nervous during auditions <laughs> like you don't even get the whole script sometimes or sometimes you do and then you don't have time to read it because it's like they want it that day or like it's just the whole process is so funny and then um i love in live shows to do a lot of audience participation because like mm-hmm. the energy of the room is so electric and like that's what makes shows so funny is like your relationship to the audience. Our producer, Caitlin Dryden, found uh, a couple sides for us to do here. <laughs> I have not read this. Oh my God. I have no idea what okay. this is. Wait, it's okay, cool. Who knows how bad the writing is? I have to imagine horrible. <laughs> this is a stepmother and stepson. Oh my God. Do we play it really real? I don't know. Tell me, you, you pretend you're, you're running this. Okay. Tell me what to do. Okay. Like an audition? Yes, yeah, an audition. Hi, I'm Megan Stalter. I'm I'm five foot seven and I'm located in Los Angeles, California. <laughs> Am I playing the stepson? Oh, and I'm playing stepmother. Okay. I'm Megan Stalter reading for stepmother. <laughs> stepson, wear your sweater while going out. <laughs> that sounds it sounded too flirty. Okay. It's, it sounded white. Okay. Stepson, wear your sweater while going out. Wow, you really care for me. No, I thought it would be easier to recognize you when you put it on. You have a face far too ordinary for me. It still feels flirty, (laughs) the way I'm doing it. No, I thought it would be easier to recognize you when you put it on. See, you know what's so funny? I keep wanting to improvise and add lines. Like, I have such a problem with just... <laughs> and if anyone, if any casting is listening to this, I will definitely skip, uh, stick to the script if you wanted me to on set. Megan will stick to the script. <laughs> you have words, she'll stick, stick to them. Stick to the script, but I will desperately try to I add a I have never word. read these lines in my life. <laughs> I don't know where this came from. You can improvise... It's really as good. As much as you want. I know it's not. I'm going to stick to the script just to see how it okay. sounds. But okay. right. Take 87. I'm going to restart. Stepson, wear your sweater while going out. Wow, you really care for me. No. I thought it would be easier to recognize you when you put it on. You have a face far too ordinary for me to remember or even care about. Little brat. See, I added little brat. Why do you hate me? I don't hate you. I just love you as much as you deserve to be loved. <gasps> Why don't you call me by my name? <laughs> You are stupid. Where did they get this? You are stupid. If I can't remember your face, obviously I can't remember your name, too. I hate you. You hate me for being disgusting. That's something about your personality. I don't want to talk with you, Mom. Good. (laughs) Enough. Enough is my favorite line. Of what? The truth? You don't even have a personality disorder because you don't have a personality to begin with. My dad made a mistake marrying you. See, you're a real bad son. You're accusing your father behind his back. Just leave me alone, mom. Like your girlfriend. (laughs) And now look, she has two. Did I write this? 
Did I write the script? <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> like your girlfriend? Little bitch. <laughs> I added the little bitch. And now look, she has two boyfriends for your company. Don't talk about her. I'm going mad. I what is the t- I wonder when this was filmed. <laughs> filmed. <I'm- laughs> filmed. It wasn't filmed. It wasn't filmed. I assure you. It wasn't filmed. This someone- <laughs> if this was filmed, we're in trouble. It's not filmed. This is not filmed. I think she was mad that she was hanging out with you. Women might take time to realize their folly. But once they do, maybe it was supposed to be in a British accent, they act on it immediately. Yeah, make sure you change it in the middle of it, too. And in this case, she realized her mistakes on your birthday. Why are you doing this to me, Mom? You should have asked her that. But you were too busy crying. Stop. Don't you talk to me with that commanding voice. What will you do if I did? (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell your father that you don't exactly look at my face. Well, this is... Pornography. <laughs> this is fully pornography. Oh, my, oh God. my God. I f- I will tell your father that you don't exactly look at my face while talking to me. <gasps> I'm not even going to read the last line. End scene. This is, oh, okay, that would be so funny if you went to an audition and you thought it was like, this amazing script, and this is what they handed you, and they were you were like, what is this movie? But this is a really good script. It's probably someone's spec script. Yeah, of, yeah, definitely spec. Of porn. It's porn. It, yeah, it's porn. I, I don't know, but but Caitlin, our <laughs> producer, unearthed it from somewhere. She didn't write it, though. She did not write it. <laughs> She's like, I wrote something for you today. <laughs> it's my passion project. <laughs> oh my gosh so you would do that bit in new york with, with some audience <laughs> right participation back right back in <laughs> yes i still do a bit today where i like oh my god i wrote a play can someone read a scene with me i don't think people realize but i think it's pretty sentimental to watch someone like bloom on stage like an audience member sort of be nervous but still want to volunteer and then come out on top getting all these laughs from the script and feeling for a moment like they were in the show. I never want to pick someone that doesn't want to do it, like, but it's really fun watching someone come out of their comfort zone. We'll be right back after a quick break. Hello, hello, Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History. If you've watched a professional tennis match recently, you'll know that fans had this amazing new tool at their disposal. It was created by the consulting company Infosys and the Association of Tennis Professionals. It's an immersive 3D viewing experience for tennis fans, which allows them to watch matches from new angles, get real-time statistics, and better understand the inner workings of the game and its athletes. Basically, a completely new, data-driven way to appreciate a tennis match. It's been a huge hit, and I'm proud to say that the Infosys Tennis Platform earned first place in the Customer Experience category at the Unconventional Awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event held at Mobile World Congress in Las Vegas that celebrates customers who've boldly innovated for the sake of meaningful change. And I think it's important to point out that innovation like this doesn't just require a great idea and exploit some great underlying technology. It takes courage. Because tennis is a game with a long history and some pretty powerful traditions. I mean, you can only wear white at Wimbledon. Still, it's the 21st century. 
And here was an idea that said we can dramatically change the way a fan watches a match. We can feed them data. We can allow them to see things they could never see before with the naked eye, or even conventional camera angles. If you want to turn a world upside down, you have to have a pretty strong backbone. That's a lot of what the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards are all about. Finding people and companies who show that kind of boldness. I encourage you to enter. It's a fantastic event and a great way to be recognized for your brave, outside-the-box thinking in front of the industry's most influential leaders. And an even better way to say, I told you so. You can enter by July 31st at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You're clearly a performer that thrives on audience participation, the energy in a room. Once the pandemic takes hold in March of 2020, all of that goes away. And I wondered, once you move back to Ohio to ride out COVID with your family, how do you keep that energy going? I love to perform so much that it was like truly giving me energy and inspiring me every time I did like an Instagram live. I was doing these big themed Instagram live like, one night in Paris or like, we're going to nursing school tonight. And like, that was a way that I could keep improvising. And then also it felt like there was an audience, even though it was all online. 
but it felt like a way to connect still with the people that like my stuff or like support me. I don't know how I would have made it through without like, first of all, being near family and then being inspired by people online. And like, I hate the word play, but like play around and do these like improv Instagram lives where I could be on there for two hours, like pretending to be a doctor. When I watched those, yeah, I was so deeply impressed <laughs> by your endurance. Like two hours. It's a lot. Two hours you were doing this. And I was like, yeah. gosh, that's well, insane. Well, when you feel so, you were, I was feeling like alone, even though I thankfully, you know, eventually I was with family. Because at first when I was doing them, I was completely alone in New York, like in my apartment. I think it was just a really specific way of being like, oh, like there's this like little community now that like we get on once in a while at night and like play pretend and we never really get to do that as adults unless we're doing live shows, which weren't happening. There was something childlike to it. There was like childlikeness to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's kind of remarkable because once you're home and making these videos, you're doing it with your brother, Nick. And growing up, you two would play around and do jokes and bits and create those fake talk shows. And then again, 20 years later in the pandemic, you get to kind of re-enter that dynamic with him. You said of Nick, I would be embarrassed to do the sketches on my own. Like if my brother wasn't there, I'd be embarrassed. But when he's filming me, I truly don't care who sees me. <laughs> I mean, at home, I mean, I do videos all the time alone, but like if I was to put up my phone like on a stand and do a video alone in front of a jewelry shop, I would be like mortified. But with Nick or like my sisters, Abby or Madison, like we're all so close and they're so funny. If they're there and I'm making them laugh, like I really don't care if like someone comes up and is like, you can't film here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I think he's probably a little more embarrassed, but like I'm fearless with them. Like, And it was like such a specific time in our lives where we were like, it's strange because it was obviously horrifying and horrible, the COVID lockdown. Like, we were all scared. But, like, we also got this, like, to get us through, had this moment where we we're all in the same house again, like, for months. And, like, when will that ever happen again? You know, you only see your family in that way on vacation or, like, holidays or, like, if you live near them, like, one day or so a week. But, like, to be living again with your whole family, that's, like, really rare. And that was inspiring, too, and made me, like, Gave me comedy inspiration. <laughs> Kept me going. That thing of capturing the joy one feels in childhood. It's so apparent through all your videos. There's like this joy that you're exhibiting on camera, but there's also the joy you're giving strangers. And it's very pure. That's so nice. <laughs> there was some point in my life where I let myself be truly who I am. And I've just been so happy ever since and, like, fell in love with myself kind of, like, through being like, go do what you really want to do. I think I was trying really hard to be like, I need to pick a job that's noble and helpful to people. Maybe I'll be a nurse. But then it's like, well, we have these amazing nurses and they were meant to do that thing. And I'm not meant to do that. And I'm meant to, like, help people through a different way. So when did you really give up being noble? <laughs> Well, I, I think, like, I realized trying to push myself, like, oh, okay, be a nurse, be a teacher, like, you want to help people. I think finally being like, but I won't be happy unless I'm doing this thing. Then I'm like, oh, that's noble. You can, through doing what you really want to do, and I feel like that's the way I connect to other people is through laughing and <laughs> humor. This is what it's all about. And it's about being yourself. And, like, that's how you 
love other people is when you fully let yourself be chasing what you really want to do, then it like inspires other people to do it. And humor is the best medicine. There's also this, <laughs> this, I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> no, leave it in. Humor is the best medicine. No, I won't. Medicine, hmm, to laugh, that's the best. <laughs> and now we're going to keep it in because that was good. <laughs> it was gonna get cut I passed out when my sister gave birth to my nephew so I shouldn't be a nurse like I fully passed out into the floor oh we're still talking about that yeah back to the nursing I shouldn't be allowed in the hospital unless I'm sick <laughs> <laughs> okay noted if you're sick we'll then let yes, you be in the hospital but I shouldn't be in charge of heart surgery yeah no one thought that okay but could you I would be a fun nurse though fun in what sense that um, me saying like good morning. Yeah, I think you'd be you you <laughs> like would be, a nice nurse. If they could just bring you yeah. in for the good mornings. But then as soon as like an IV is put in, no, my no, hands are out. shaky. I'm passing out. I'm like, I think I need a bite to you're eat. You're just a greeter. Yeah, I'm a greeter. I could be a greeter at a hospital. You'd be a hospital greeter. But the second a tool enters my hand, I'm like shaking. No. I'm like, I don't want to do this. We give you no tools. Can you do it yourself? Yeah. You know. And and patients love to hear that. <laughs> yeah, patients love to hear. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I've got a nervous stomach. I'll be right back. <laughs> the thing you keep circling is this idea of loving yourself. And once you love yourself, kind of being able to love others. And yet the thing I keep coming back to is that in all of your characters, you have so much love for them. And you said once, most of my characters are born out of growing up in the Midwest. There's this casserole type personality <laughs> that I'm bringing to them. What is that? When you grow up in the Midwest, but then you move somewhere big, you know, like L.A. or New York or Chicago, and like, I think you just meet so many different kinds of people. If you've never lived in the Midwest and you don't have family members that vote differently than you, it's already hard. I'm already mad at people that are vote Republican, but I also have family members that do, you know, and I love them as people. So it is easier to play people with a sense of humility and like okay, they mean well if you've grown up with them. Do they mean well? My brother always says that everyone thinks that they're the hero, even if they believe evil things. <laughs> like, even, like, the people we love who believe really such different things than us, it's so hard to wrap my mind around that they do have good intentions. It's really hard. But it is easier to play a character that is um, angry at a Starbucks worker... <laughs> Because they're celebrating Halloween when you, like, grew up with those people. Because you've seen them at their best, too. It does feel like so many people watch your videos to have a window into people from the middle part of the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is really fascinating to me. And people think it's real because they're also with TikTok. It's like, I do see videos like that. And it is hard to relate to those people that are especially, like, going off and other people. It's like, oh, my God, like, what is wrong with you? I'm curious about this because you seem to have this driving interest in people on, on a very fundamental level. And I think that's why your characters are so specific. <laughs> yeah. You're nailing the, the smallest details that most people ignore moving through the day to day of their lives. Where does that love of people come from? You know, I think it's funny because in high school, since I was so shy, maybe I did watch people a lot or like I had two sides, right? I'm like, I'm watching people during the day. I'm watching. And then at night or drama club, I'm like living my truth of who I am. And like my true personality comes out. I'm definitely a people person. I'm definitely like half introvert, extrovert. Like I need time alone too. 
I think it's just because people are all we have, like, truly. Like, it's really, that's all we have in life is our connection to each other. Like, nothing else really matters, right? <laughs> or that's how I connect, I think. Those are the kind of characters I like to watch. I was very, very obsessed with all the, like, Christopher Guest movies. I think the funniest movie is Best in Show. You know, like, the little things about those characters and how they talk to each other and, like, I think a fight is so funny. Like, a a couple fighting and calling each other babe, but, like, arguing over a dog. It's so funny to me. People are all we have. And <laughs> in the act of performing, you get to be all of these different people that you're watching online in life. You said once, some people think comedians want attention because they're sad. I definitely had some awkward years. I was tortured in middle school. <laughs> tortured. But I fell in love with myself in my 20s, and I really do love myself. I'm not sad. I feel like I perform out of joy. It's the one time my brain is truly at rest. Yes. When I'm on stage, I fully feel totally free and totally without pain. <laughs> like, it's fully, like, meditating. It must be. Where I go to a different state. Like, I'm a different person on stage. But then I'm like, that person's inside of me, you know? Like, it's full freedom, and that must mean that's what you're meant to do. It's such a strange, strange feeling to be on stage, especially if it's your show and it's like a full hour of you, like, in a different state. It's so clearly the thing you're meant to do. In season one of Hacks, there's a scene where Gene Smart explains that making it in comedy as a woman, it's not enough to just be good. You have to claw your way to the top. You're making it really hard. Hard? You think this, this is hard? You don't know what hard is. You got plucked off the internet at what, 20? You just got lucky. I may have been lucky, but I'm also good. Well, I should hope so. Good is the minimum. It's the baseline. You have to be so much more than good. And even if you're great and lucky, you still have to work really fucking hard. And even that is not enough. You have to scratch and claw and it never fucking ends. And it doesn't get better. It just gets harder. So don't complain to me that I'm making your life hard. You don't even know what that means. When you watch that scene, how much of yourself did you see in her monologue about fighting, clawing, and thinking about all your tweet <laughs> tactics and the endless shows you did yeah. and, and everything you did? to get here. How did that make you feel? I think that's really one of my favorite scenes in the whole show. Like, every time I hear the monologue, I cry. I've never pushed anyone down or clawed in that way, but I think you have to really fight for yourself because I think a lot of people are saying no, and then there's a lot of, like, backlash. I feel like I have this set online that everyone is... <laughs> it's all over, like, Reddit. But I just don't read the comments. So you have to really believe in yourself. And you have to, like, ground yourself with what's important in life and keep your good friends close. And, like, I think in that way, you do have to claw your way to the top because there's so many talented people in this world. You have to really want it and really fight for yourself and stand up for what you deserve or, like, really make room for yourself, I think. Especially for women, like, it's gotten a lot better, but there's still once in a while you're on a show where you feel like, oh, this isn't, like, the queer space I'm used to and there's mostly men on this show or like there it's all men and me or like I had this show in Chicago that everyone wanted to get on and the night I finally they let me on the show 
it was like definitely a boys club and I was the only woman I think booked. So I thought for my set, I'd be funny if I was like, oh, I brought my own female lineup and I had like eight girls come up and do like a 60 second cum joke, <laughs> um, making fun of like the idea that they all had all men and they were pretty mad at me. But I wasn't making fun of their show. I was making fun of all sh comedy at all, like how even in this day we have to like you know, be like, oh, am I the only female in the, am I the only female comedian on the lineup? Like, why isn't there any women or non-binary people on this lineup? And um, one of the producers was going around Chicago and on every podcast being like, I would have ripped her mic out of her hands. I would have like turned off the sound if she did that. And I was there. But I think he's over it now. <laughs> I hope. I hope. Why does it make you so emotional? Well, I just feel really passionate and protective of my friends and there's men in this world that I love of course but I really ride for my girls <laughs> and all my favorite comedians are women and I feel like we're already like treated so horrible on, on any woman online gets so much I, I don't like how they treat Kim Kardashian or like Amy Schumer like I just feel so um women get it so badly and then like why do we deserve that and we work we have to work so much harder we really do we have to really stick up for ourselves. And if we're not passionate and sticking up for each other, like no one else will. How have you figured out how to not listen to the no's? How to tune out some of that horrible behavior you're talking about? How do you have that in your life and yet continue to move forward? I think I'm really lucky to have just be in love with the best people in the world. And I think I've always heard no, like I wasn't getting any of the parts in, you know, high school. But if I get a mean comment online, my trick, all I'll do is like screenshot it and send it to my sister. And it's like out of my brain and my heart because like the person that loves me the most like says like, that's so stupid. And so it's like, oh, it goes away. It doesn't mean anything. Just like the likes and comments don't mean anything. Like that's not who you really are. So if someone says something mean... <laughs> You just tell the closest person you and then it's like, okay, now I can't, I don't have to think about it. So if the good stuff doesn't matter online and the bad stuff yeah. doesn't matter online, you're 30 now? 31. 31. Mm -hmm. What matters to you at 31? I think that what matters to me are that the people I love feel loved by me. And I just don't give up on what I really want in life, I think. And what is that? I really want to just keep making things and I know that sounds so cheesy but I just want to make I want to like write tv shows that I'm in and do movies because I just love acting and I always want to get to perform live I mean it definitely changes things when you have a following and people come to your shows <laughs> I mean it wasn't that long ago that I was begging people to come to my shows in Chicago like it's life-changing for people to come out and you have these like this wild support at your shows it's it's the best feeling you just never know how long something will last so i just want to enjoy everything that i i feel like my dreams are coming true it has taken a whole lot mm -hmm. for uh you to get to this moment a strange winding difficult journey <laughs> and yet you are here and uh i'm so glad that you made it and i'm grateful that you found some way to not listen to the nose. Oh, that's so nice. This was the most fun. I feel like my heart's so full. Is it? Yeah, we laughed and I got, I feel sentimental. That's really sweet. And I, I mean, even seeing this horrible tweet, it's like, that was, it was like a long way. It, yeah. How many likes did it have? It had three likes. <laughs> Things change in an instant. Yeah, it's true.
Megan Stalter, lovely to meet you. <laughs> it's so good to meet you too. Best of luck. You too. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> oh my God. It <laughs> was so much fun. Was I okay? You were so great. I loved that. I was like, we were in our own universe, especially with the headphones on. No, no, you don't know what's going on. And that's our show. Special thanks to Chase Leaner, the team at Narrative PR, and of course, Meg Stalter. If you're listening on Wednesday, June 1st, you can stream the first four episodes of season two of Hacks on HBO Max. The season finale premieres tomorrow on HBO. We'll be sure to include links to that and more of Meg's work in our show notes at talkeasypod.com. On the site, you'll find our back catalog of over 250 episodes, including talks with Bill Hader, Alana Hyam, T.S. Madison, Ted Danson, Kate Blanchett, Titus Burgess, Melanie Linsky, Porna Jagannathan, Nick Offerman, and Jenny Slate. To hear those and more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. As always, this show would not be possible without our incredible team. Talk Easy is produced by Caroline Reebok. Our executive producer is Janixa Bravo. Our associate producer is Caitlin Dryden. Today's talk was edited by Lindsay Ellis and Clarice Guevara. It was mixed by Andrew Vastola. It was taped at iHeartMedia in Los Angeles. Music by Dylan Peck. Illustrations by Krisha Shenoy. Photos by Julius Chu. Video and graphics by Ian Chang, Derek Gaberzak, Ian Jones, Ethan Seneca, and Layla Register. Special thanks to Patrice Lee, Paulina Suarez, and Shiloh Fagan. I'd also like to thank the team at Pushkin Industries, Justin Richmond, Julia Barton, John Schnars, Carrie Brody, David Glover, Heather Fain, Mia LaBelle, Eric Sandler, Nicole Morano, Maggie Taylor, Morgan Ratner, Maya Koenig, Carly Migliori, Jason Gambrell, Malcolm Gladwell, and Jacob Weisberg. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. I'll see you back here on Sunday with a new episode. Until then, stay safe and so long. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit kia.com to learn more. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Smart journalism. 
fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Last year, the Army missed its recruitment goal. It had 65,000 spots to fill and came up 10,000 short of that target. Why is it so hard to recruit? How's the Pentagon responding? And how are the voices of service members on social media shifting the balance? Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish wherever you get your podcasts.